0: Section 2 of Luke Garoo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording by Doug Fajardo. Luke Garoo by Ellen Philpotts. Chapter 2 roger warren was really a very good young man and better than most young men but then he belonged to that fortunate fishy sort of youths who always drink water from choice and whose blood seems too thin to get very hot even in the tropics he felt strong chiefly because he had never been gravely tried as yet but he had a practical weak spot, too. The mammon of unrighteousness fascinated him. This he hardly knew himself, as yet. But the devil did. I say again, he was a good young man, though not as good as people thought, and not as good as he honestly believed himself to be. A humbug always humbugs himself, sooner or later. Then his actions are worth watching. Noel, on the other hand, was really weak and vicious, but he knew it, and after his last fiasco he made yet another attempt to struggle from the sloth. Finding that his unassisted efforts towards better things never produced the smallest results, he cast about for aid, and boldly sought the same in a high quarter. Bishop Muldoon of Dominica was always ready to lend a helping hand to black sheep from any fold, or no fold at all. Noel was the sort of youngster he liked to tackle, and he willingly gave him the benefit of much excellent advice and admirable counsel. The sinner, weak as water, sentimental, good-hearted, impetuous, found it a comfortable and happy thing to have a complete new program thus mapped out for him. He obeyed the good bishop, to the best of his ability, joined the Roman church as a preliminary, and started on the new steep road. His reformation was not instantaneous, far from it, but people who took the trouble to watch Noel Warren carefully detected a change from the first. He was good oftener than formerly, and apparently with deliberate intention. Noel wrote once or twice to his aunt during this period, but received no answer. Then, about five months after the estrangement, he met his brother. Instead of passing as usual, Roger stopped him. I desire to speak with you, he said. Would you mind turning down this lane for a few moments? Here we shall not be interrupted and not seen, eh? Huh? Oh, oh, come on. They proceeded over a rough, grass-grown road, flanked by mean negro huts. The place was lonely, and almost deserted. At one door sat an old, insane negro, playing with a cat. Here and there in the road, naked black babies and goats amused themselves. "'You must prepare for sad news,' began Roger, opening the conversation. "'Aunt Ruth has become much weaker since last you saw her. "'She cannot be with us long now. "'Poor old lady. "'I'm very, very sorry to hear it. "'Bitterly sorry. "'Is she happy? "'Does she ever mention me?' more in sorrow than anger she forgives you everything even this monstrous act of joining the romans she desired to see you a month or more ago but i did not support her in the idea you what business was it of yours discuss calmly in a measure it was my business Our aunt has put herself in my hands, body and soul. I have no fear now for the latter. What touches you is the future of the property she leaves behind her. Concerning that, I am but little wiser than yourself. She has, however, appointed me as her executor, and allowed me to learn that all her securities have long since been realized. Her money, how much or how little I know not, is actually within the walls of village St. Joseph. When I heard this, I considered it my duty to take up my own abode there. Our joint interests pointed to such a step. Aunt Ruth was glad that I should do so, you must not accuse me of even a selfish thought in this action our good aunt's will was made long ago i am as ignorant of its contents as you are but what is this objection to my seeing her she is as much to me as you i exercise my own judgment in the step i cannot think that the presence of a roman catholic at her deathbed or near it, is desirable." Oh, "'You're a broad-minded man?' "'Thank God, no. The broad-minded are to be found in the broad path, as a rule. You must have narrow views, if you would tread the narrow way.' "'Well, you seem nicely calculated to soothe anybody's declining hours. That's certain. Aunt Ruth must have aged rather rapidly since I last saw her. But if you've been turning your attention to her soul, it is easily accounted for. Roger sighed. We need not prolong this conversation, I think, he said. And then the brothers separated. But the next morning they met again, for Noel brooding upon the matter, determined to get more information at all costs, or even force an interview upon his aunt if opportunity offered. The truth was that, with the noblest possible motives, Roger Warren had, in reality, adopted a course likely to shorten his Aunt Melian's life. As he told his brother, he had at last prevailed upon the old woman to turn her thoughts to the next world. But his method of performing that feat induced in the patient a semi-hysterical, semi-religious, semi-terror-stricken condition that kept her nerves forever on the fret and jar, that brought her gray hairs with increasing speed and increasing misery to the grave. She was very grateful to her hard-featured nephew, and very frightened of him. It seemed as though an angel from above had come down to ensure her eternal welfare. Roger's strength lay in his pictures of the world to come. He did not paint heaven as a particularly attractive spot but his descriptions of the other place were terrific. They would have reformed a satyr. Sometimes, in feeble moments, Miss Melian begged Roger to send for Noel, but his stern sense of duty made him equal to the task of refusing her. For the same reason, he had destroyed Noel's letters, and had not mentioned them to his aunt. His conscience told him that it must be done, for Ruth Mallion's eternal welfare was at stake. Chapter two.